You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 14th of September and today we'll warm up with a quiz about Sweden's King Carl XVI Gustav who celebrates 50 years on the throne this week. We'll also discuss a swine fever outbreak and what it means for the economy. We'll look at why unemployment is on the rise. And finally, we'll take a closer look at how Sweden's proposed citizenship changes are progressing. I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and I'm in Stockholm today, and I'm joined from Malmö by our regular panellists, Emma Lovegrain and Becky Waterton. How are you both? Good. I'm fine. I'm quite enjoying the colder weather, although it's quite sad to finally say goodbye to summer. And are you are you two going to be celebrating the King's Jubilee this weekend? Is that something you do? Uh, <laughs> it's not in my diary, but I guess if he invites me, I'll, I'll show up. I mean, as someone who is hoping to apply for citizenship and may need to prove her loyalty to the country, I will be watching it completely glued to the screen and waving my Swedish flags. And no, I mean, not really. I. I probably not going to watch it. I mean, there's a concert I might tune in if I've got nothing better to be doing, but no real plans, no. Is anyone anyone good on the concert? I don't know. I think it would be nice if ABBA were there, but they're not going to be there. Didn't they like become massively famous the same year that the king took the throne, 1973? I think that would be amazing if ABBA did like a, a surprise reunion at the Jubilee concert, but something tells me it's not going to happen. They sang at their wedding as well. They sang Dancing Queen yes. at their wedding, which is amazing. I hope that's not in the quiz later, because if it is, then we already know that. Oh, well, that's that's good to know. We'll see if it's in there. Um, if you're listening to this on Saturday, the 16th of September, and you're keen to join in the celebrations, we'll link to an article in the notes where you can see where to follow the King and Queen's horse-drawn cortege if you're in Stockholm. And if you're not near the capital, uh, you can watch it all on SVT, like Becky. <laughs> So, Emma, Becky, yeah, as as we mentioned, we're going to have a quiz. So how much do you know about Sweden's king on a scale from I refuse to waste mental energy on monarchs to I wrote the Wikipedia page? Uh, I feel like I know much more than I want to know because I read the Swedish news and you can't really avoid it. How about you, Becky? My husband has like a budding collection of royal memorabilia. So I have a lot of secondhand knowledge about the Swedish royals, but nothing I've like actively tried to figure out myself. Everything I know about the Swedish royals, I know against my will. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a shame James isn't on the podcast because he would ace the quiz. Yeah, it's good that he's not on the podcast because he would ace the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, let's find out what you know then as we go down a King Carl Gustav rabbit hole in the form of a 10-question quiz. For listeners who are paying members of the local, if you haven't taken the quiz yet, there's a link to it in the show notes. So if you'd like to see how you compare to our panellists, you could pause now, take the quiz and come back to see if you've beaten Becky and Emma or don't if you don't want to whatever you like uh, if you're not a member of the local but would like to join we have a special offer for podcast listeners at the local.se forward slash podcast offer that's one word podcast offer okay becky and emma let's see which of you knows your royal onions or if both of you do indeed let's go question one how old was Carl the 16th Gustav when he became king of Sweden? And I'll give you a few options here. 30, 33, 27, 29, 28. Okay, okay that was a lot of options. I'm pretty sure he's 27 or was 27. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in his 20s anyway. Yeah. Shall we say 27? Yeah. Are we working okay. together or are we working against each other? I think against each other is more fun. Yeah. Okay, so 27 is the correct answer. Uh, king Carl the 16th, Gustav became king on September the 15th, 1973, on the death of his grandfather, Gustav VI, Adolf. Next question. So as a young prince, Carl Gustav was a member of the armed forces. What was the highest rank he gained before becoming king? Lieutenant, commander, captain or colonel? I'm going to guess lieutenant. I don't know. I'm just going to guess colonel, just to say something different than Emma. So you're both wrong. Okay, that's good. Captain? Captain, yeah. He rose Mm. to the rank of captain in both the army and the air force, but only to the rank of lieutenant in the navy. Mm. I'm not really sure. It was a trick question. How old was Carl Gustav when he became first in line to the throne? Was he four years old, nine months old, nine years old or 15 years old? I think he was four years old. I think he was nine months old. He was four years old. So the nine months old prince became second in line to the throne when his father, Prince Gustav Adolf, was killed in a plane crash in 1947 at Copenhagen Airport. And it was only when his great-grandfather, Gustav V, died in 1950 when he was four that he became heir apparent. I forgot that his dad died when his great-grandfather was still alive. Exactly. So how many times is King Carl Gustav descended from Victoria, Queen of England? Once, twice, or not at all? (laughs) I'm going to guess twice. (laughs) I'm going to guess not at all. Becky has caught up now because the right answer is twice. Both of King Carl Gustav's parents, Prince Gustav Adolf and Princess Sibylla, were great-grandchildren of Victoria. King Charles III of England is also descended from Victoria on both sides, interestingly, according to this quiz devised by Richard. I thought we were just related to the French and the Germans. Are you ready for next question? Yes. Mm -hmm. Where did uh, Carl Gustav meet his wife, Queen Sylvia? On a transatlantic flight where she was working as a flight attendant during a visit to Sao Paulo at the 1972 Olympic Games at the 1970 Nobel Prize banquet. Becky and I were both waving our hands because we knew this before you gave us the options. Yeah, it was the Olympic Games. It was the Olympic Games. Which is also how Denmark's crown prince met his wife at the Sydney Olympic Games. So Olympic Mm. Games seem to be a good place for for princes to find wives. 
Yeah, King Carl Gustav met Sylvia Sommelot at the 1972 Munich Olympics, where she was working as a host and interpreter. How many grandchildren does the Swedish king have? Do you want to guess before I give you the options? I have to count. Or I'll give you the options. Seven, eight or, seven, eight or nine. I think seven. Because I think the oldest child has two children, the middle child has three, and the youngest one has two, right? Yeah, I, I think it's also seven. You've got, you're going for seven as well, yeah. okay. Yeah, you were staring into space there looking for answers. And uh, both of you got the wrong answer. It's eight, in oh, fact. Eight? I should have said something different. Well, who's the missing grandchild? You can pick from any of these which one is the missing one. Princess Estelle, Prince Oscar, Prince Alexander, Prince Gabriel or Gabriel, Prince Julian, Princess Leonora, Prince Nicholas and Princess Adrienne. I think Madeleine has three kids, right? Yeah, I think it was Julian I missed or forgot about. I have, mm. I have so, so Carl, Carl Philip and Sophia have three as well then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. this is not my forte. Well, they, they're very far down the order of succession, Paul. You can't expect us to remember all of them. The king probably doesn't remember all of them. I think James is going to be very disappointed in you when he hears this. Mm. I have a feeling you're going to know this one. Which ABBA song was first performed in Sweden on a TV variety show put on to mark the wedding of, (laughs) of King Carl Gustav and Queen Sylvia? Was it Waterloo? Money, money, money? Fernando or Dancing Queen? Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen. Yeah. As you said at the outset. They they have to play it at his jubilee. Like I will be so disappointed if they don't. So nearly a month before its official release, ABBA performed Dancing Queen on the TV special broadcast on the eve of the royal wedding. It was their first performance of the song in Sweden following performances in Germany and Australia earlier that year. Next question. Eighth question. Of which international organisation is King Carl Gustav the honorary chairman? The International Federation, Emma knows this one. Do you want to say? I don't know what the official name is, but the, the, the Boy Scouts. The Scouts. <laughs> oh, the Scouts. No, I'm, I won't accept that. It's the correct answer, but it's not the full name. No, go on. I will accept is it. it. The World the, Organization the, of the Scout Movement. The options were, for anyone interested, the International Federation for Historic Vehicles, uh, the Global Polio Eradication Initiative, <laughs> the International Council on Monuments and Sites, or the World Scout Foundation. The World Scout Great Foundation. Answer, as you say, was the World Scout Foundation. On which island does King Carl Gustav traditionally spend his summers? Gotland, Sandham, Erland, Värmdö, or Utere? I know the answer. Becky? I would just be guessing. So I'll say Utere because it's fun to say. Yeah, I think Utere might be a made-up island. I'm, I've, I've never heard of Utere. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's Erland. It is Erland. Yes. I was going to say uh, Jürgen so uh, The Suliden uh, Palace on Erland. Nice little summer cottage. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say. So the, the king and queen and their children spend the summer there, yeah, at the Suliden Palace. Last question already. Wow, this has flown. King Carl Gustav is the longest reigning ruler in Swedish history. Who was the previous holder of this title? Oh, was it yesterday. Magnus IV, Gustav I, Gustav Vasa, Eric Fourteenth. Carl the Fourteenth, Johan, Jean Baptiste, Jules Bernadotte, or Gustav the Second, Adolf, Gustavus Adolphus. I think it was Magnus. I don't know. I'll say 
weakest of the second Adolf? Becky has the right answer. Magnus the yes. Fourth. In uh, 2018, Carl the Sixteenth Gustav beat the 44-year record held by Magnus the Fourth, who ruled from 1319 until 1364, when he was ousted by the German nobleman Albrecht of Mecklenburg, who became King Albert the First. I think that's a draw. I have no call. I have no idea. Oh, well done us. We're both winners. Yes. Although I think James would have aced that 100%. So let's move on to other news, starting with the discovery in Sweden of swine fever in wild boars and what the consequences of that have been. So even though the disease has not been found in pigs, several countries, including, for example, Australia and Japan, have blocked the import of Swedish pork. Becky, what do we know about this outbreak so far? So essentially, some dead wild boar were found in Fagersta, which is an area west of Uppsala and about kind of 145 kilometres northwest of Stockholm. And then upon investigation, these wild boar were confirmed to have been infected with swine fever, which is an extremely contagious illness, almost 100% deadly for pigs. And it can have quite serious consequences for pork farming in particular. Luckily, it doesn't affect humans. But um, authorities are still doing what they can to stop it spreading to domestic pigs. Okay, so what are they doing? What are the authorities doing to deal with the outbreak? They've closed off a thousand square kilometre area in Fagerstar where these infected boar have been found. I think at the time of recording this, there were 18 confirmed cases so far. And they've also ordered farmers in the area to slaughter their pigs. So there's actually only around four farms in the area. So it's only 55 mm. pigs, but um, okay. it's still a big deal to people, to those those farmers. People living in the affected areas can't go for walks in the area. They, they they can't really spend any time in the forest as the virus can be spread via shoes or animals if you're out with your dog or something and, you know, by, by other means. So farmers using machinery in the area have been told that they have to wash their machinery carefully if they, like when they go over the border to other areas to keep the spread of infection down. So as I said, um, this is affecting the, the Swedish pork industry with um, some countries blocking imports. How big is the Swedish pork industry and is this likely to have any knock-on effects on the economy at large? Well, Sweden has around 1.5 million pigs, which is a lot fewer than neighbouring countries. I mean, I think Finland has about the same 1.3 million, but Denmark has 13 million pigs. So that's more pigs than people. So it's it's not as serious as it would be in Denmark, for example, where it's like a major industry. Sweden exports around 30,000 tonnes of pork each year, with about 8,000 tonnes going to EU countries. So all these import bans that you were mentioning could lead to a loss of income around 50 million kroner a year. And the industry as a whole has an annual revenue of about 30 billion. As far as how it could affect the economy, uh, it could affect the lumber industry in the area because obviously they can't get to any of their lumber. If it does spread to other areas, it could essentially mean that all domestic pigs in those areas would have to be slaughtered. So there's some farmers in other areas that are quite far away. So Halland in in southern Sweden, for example, who have actually already started slaughtering their outdoor pigs as a precaution. And farmers are also worried that consumers might be put off from buying Swedish meat, things like that. If it does get quite serious, it could mean that we see pork becoming more expensive. So yeah, there's a lot of kind of unknowns here. But it probably won't have huge knock-on effects for the rest of the economy unless the situation gets a lot worse. Okay, thanks for that roundup, Becky. And we'll link to any updated articles on this story in the show notes. On to the job market now. And there was a brief story on the site this week about 
how unemployment had risen in August for the first time in months. Uh, what can you tell us about this, Emma? What are the latest figures? Well, the latest figures are that uh, 331,000 people are at least officially registered as unemployed with Sweden's Public Employment Service, Arbetsförmedlingen. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, 6.4% of the workforce as a whole. But it's important to note also that there are big gaps between groups, like foreign-born people got 15.2% who are unemployed, whereas mm. among native-born Swedes it's 3.6%, which is a huge gap. Yeah. And also the unemployment figure for people who have a high school diploma is 5%, whereas those who don't, it's around 20%. Right. And why is unemployment on the rise again? I mean, the question is actually, why hasn't it started rising sooner? So it's not all bad news. The 6.4 figure is actually lower than the same time last year. But compared to previous months, this is the first time in a while that we're seeing an increase. And it's most likely a delayed effect of, well, the financial downturn, basically. So in the past year, we've had higher costs, we've had higher interest rates, higher inflation, but not higher unemployment. But experts had been warning that this would come at some point. I mean, there are plenty of industries that are kind of struggling at the moment, like restaurants going bankrupt because people are spending their money on more important things than eating out. And then they're having to lay off workers and so on and so on. And when is the unemployment rate likely to start dropping again? Well, there was one recent report anyway by Nordea that we wrote about that predicted that it will peak at the end of 2024 and then start dropping after that. So we'll see. I mean, it all depends on how the economy develops. And most experts seem to agree so far that it should start getting better next year. Then, I mean, in the long term, they're saying also that we need to get more people to finish high school or get some kind of other training because that's what makes them employable. And we also know from previous experience, like like during the pandemic, that well-educated people who lose their jobs, they're more likely to find a job soon. Yeah. Whereas people who don't have a high school diploma are much more likely to end up in long-term unemployment. Okay, great. Thanks, Emma. We'll continue to to follow this closely and we can put a link in the episode notes to an article on what you need to know if you lose your job in Sweden. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Let's talk now about the government's plans to tighten the requirements for citizenship in Sweden. This was something the centre-right government announced they would do last autumn when they presented the TIDA agreement, the policy roadmap they signed with the far-right Sweden Democrats. And last week, the government finally kick-started the inquiry that will recommend changes to laws governing citizenship. The inquiry will be led by Judge Kirsi Laxo-Utvik, and she has just over a year to present her recommendations. Then it's expected to take another year until there's a formal legislative proposal. So this is all going to take some time to move through the legislative process. A few days ago, our podcast regular Richard Orange interviewed the Migration Minister Maria Malmer Stenegard. Aside from the directive, Richard also asked her more generally about implementing laws that take a tougher line on immigration as part of what the government calls its paradigm shift and how she reacts to the locals' readers survey in which a lot of respondents said they now felt less welcome in Sweden. Let's have a listen now and then we'll come back to the studio and talk a bit about some of the details in the directive. Why do you think it's necessary to tighten up citizenship requirements? I mean, isn't it good that immigrants become citizens and become more invested in Sweden? It is uh, fantastic if citizens become more invested in Sweden and if they require the knowledges that we think are necessary in order to become citizens. The citizenship represents formal membership in the Swedish society and it is of great importance both legally and symbolically. And for this government, it is clear that the value of the Swedish citizenship must be respected and protected to a greater extent than it is today. And if you compare the requirements in Sweden to other comparable countries, then I would say that it is rather easy to become a, a citizen in Sweden. And we want to see a change in this. And talking about the length of time that you think people should be resident in Sweden, the directive doesn't specify that it will increase from five years to eight years, which is what's been talked about over the last year. I mean, how flexible are you on that timing and could it end up being shorter or longer than eight years? No, I think that we are quite clear in the directive. We say that it should be a longer time and at least eight years we specify Mm -hmm. in the directive. So. That's quite a big change, but I would say that if you, for instance, compare to Denmark and Germany, that are countries close to us, that would be more in alignment with them. And currently, the residence limit for membership is shorter if you're married to or a Sambo with a Swedish citizen. And do you think, (laughs) will that still be the case after this law comes into force? And will there be other exceptions? Well, that is up to the investigator to come up with a proposal on on how that should be handled and whether there should be uh, any uh, exceptions from the general rule on at least eight years. So I cannot say anything about that today. And I want to, are you envisaging a citizenship test like the one in Denmark? And do you think it would be as, as hard as the one in Denmark, which, will be, which is notoriously difficult? There is right now a proposal that we are um, handling within the government mm-hmm. uh, that was already handed over to us when it comes to uh, language requirements and requirements of knowledge about the Swedish society mm-hmm. and how those tests could, should be conducted. But in these new directives, we specify that we want the investigator to look into how these could be even tighter, these requirements, uh, mm. on when it comes to culture and Swedish society, but not uh, regarding language. 
So yeah. we will move on with the proposals that have already uh, received on uh, knowledge in Swedish, uh, Swedish and Swedish society. Your former Danish counterpart, Inga Stoiberg, I can't pronounce her name, mm. but she celebrated yeah. her 50th law change and I think also her 100th with celebratory cakes. And I, was, I mean, do you have a, do you, are you keeping count? I mean, do you know what number you're on and are you planning to to buy any confectionery in that way? I have no plans for that. Uh, I am very result-oriented. I want to see results from these changes as soon as possible, and I will keep working day and night in order to, to make that happen. And that is what counts for me. Not the number of laws that we have passed, but the changes that they uh, lead to. And some of our, we did another reader survey to mark a year since the election about how people feel, foreigners living in Sweden, feel that the mm-hmm. attitudes have changed towards them since this government got in. But some of them said they felt that the climate had become more hostile towards foreigners in Sweden and that they felt more targeted. How do you respond to that? Well, I would say that uh, it is actually the other way around. I have great respect for what people feel and I need to take this into account in my work ahead, but I am 100% convinced that the work that we are doing now is creating a better place for foreigners in Sweden as well. And I've met so many people who migrated here who are thankful for what we're doing, who are very disturbed and and uh, troubled by, for instance, the high rate of crime in their neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, and who really feel that we need to make changes and that uh, people actually have a greater chance of becoming a part of the Swedish society if we put demands on them. So I am convinced that also these changes that we make in the regulation regarding citizenship is important to create a better integration program. So when people know what is expected from them, they can relate to it and start working towards reaching these goals and become citizens. And I think that 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 also makes them more integrated and more proud to be Swedish. That was Sweden's Migration Minister Maria Malmö Stenegard, who represents the centre-right moderate party. Uh, she didn't say much there about how much knowledge of Sweden will be needed to become a citizen. Becky, do we have any more detail on that? I mean, what does the directive say about knowledge requirements? So there aren't currently any kind of knowledge requirements for prospective citizens, but there is a law proposal in progress to change that. And kind of this proposal currently suggests that prospective citizens must pass a Swedish language and civics test with a possibility for applicants to show their knowledge in other ways. And then that wouldn't apply to people under the age of 21 or Nordic citizens. And essentially this inquiry, it seems a little bit like an add-on, like she's been tasked with looking at that proposal and seeing if there should be any other knowledge requirements of society and culture which could be necessary, uh, kind of as an extra. She might just say, no, this one's enough, or she might say, actually, no, we need to do this as well. Um, One of the things the investigator has been asked to look into is a self-sufficiency requirement. Emma, what do we know about that? So at the moment, there is a self-sufficiency requirement for permanent residency but not for citizenship. And the person who's heading the inquiry, she's supposed to look at like the rules in similar countries like the Nordics and make a recommendation based on that. So, I mean, just as an example, in Norway, there's no specific requirements for citizenship other than that 
you must have met the self-sufficiency requirement for residency for the last 12 months. In Denmark, you must not have received social benefits within X number of years before applying. But like pensioners, people on student benefits and people who are supported by their partner, they still qualify. In Iceland, you need to earn at least 18,000 kronor, although, I mean, there are exceptions and so on. Even if she decides that a self-sufficiency requirement is is not a good idea, she's still supposed to present a proposal of what it could look like in practice anyway. Mm. Okay. So I, I would say that it's probably looking pretty likely that it might happen in some shape or form. Yeah. That really yeah. surprised me when I read it. They were like, yeah, even if you say it's terrible and it will have horrible consequences, just do it anyway. I did find that quite shocking, actually. And there's a few other proposals in this directive where they've written, like, just propose it anyway, even if you don't like the idea. And then you can go, well, this is what the inquiry recommended. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Because we told her to recommend it. The government also wants to make it harder for criminals to get Swedish citizenship. And there's already a requirement for an applicant to have an upstanding way of life. What might the investigator be looking at here? Yeah, so this upstanding way of life, it's actually a... It looks like they've got rid of the bristande vandel term, which I think we've discussed on the podcast before, and swapped it with this upstanding way of life term. I think it's herdeli sit. At the moment, this means that applicants have to show that they don't have any debts to individuals or the state. You know, you don't have any betalnings and marketing any kind of called black marks on your on your record with Kronofogden and the bailiffs. Yeah. You have to have not committed any crimes, although applicants who have committed crimes are not entirely barred from gaining Swedish citizenship. They they can apply later. It just they have kind of a quarantine or like what's the word? Right. Karens period. Like they, they have a certain period of time that needs to pass before they before they can apply for citizenship. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't bar you entirely from gaining citizenship in the future. So in the new directive, the government suggests that there could be other situations which bar applicants from gaining citizenship entirely rather than just delaying their eligibility for a certain period of time. So this could be being sentenced for a major crime. And I think they also want to make it impossible to get citizenship if you're suspected of a major crime or at yeah. least while you're suspected. I can imagine that if the if the police then decide that you're not a suspect, then maybe you can get citizenship later. I'm not sure how that would work in practice. So this crime aspect, they want to make sure that investigators at the migration agency deciding whether people should get citizenship actually kind of look into the background of applicants a little bit more. Okay. And what about the more ceremonial side of things? Will prospective citizens be asked to take an oath of loyalty to Sweden, for example, Emma? Well, municipalities in Sweden already at least once a year hold kind of ceremonies for new citizens. I mean, usually you just get together, you have some cinnamon buns and the mayor gives a speech, you maybe sing the national anthem. And they're not compulsory, but the inquiry is supposed to answer whether or not they should be made compulsory or Mm. if there should be some sort of similar event like like an interview or indeed a declaration of, of loyalty. I suspect that in the end, if they do introduce something, it's either going to be something pretty boring and administrative, like show up at this office for an interview or to sign a piece of paper, or possibly that they will make these ceremonies compulsory just because, you know, the setup is already there. Yeah. But like an oath of loyalty to Sweden, that feels very unswedish to me somehow. Like you don't really tend to sort of pledge allegiance to the flag or the royal family in, in Sweden that much. It feels a bit too too ceremonial almost. I mean, Sweden's national anthem doesn't even mention Sweden. That's true. Yeah. Do you know which country's uh, national anthem is the only one in the world that mentions Sweden? Is it Poland? It is Poland, yeah. yes. Well done. Should have been in the quiz. 
Just to finish up, could I ask you, Becky, how you feel about the new directive on a personal level as somebody who wants to apply for a Swedish citizenship? I think politics aside, I can see why they're doing it. You know, it's something that that lots of Swedes kind of want to happen. Mm. And I, I can see why they, they're trying to make Swedish citizenship, bring it in line with other, other European countries. But I think there's something kind of, Richard touched on it in his, in his, in his interview, I think. Um, there's something kind of strange about saying that we're making it harder to get citizenship so that you become more integrated. Like I was looking at, when I was writing this article about the directive, I was looking at Finland, for example, and they have a rule that I think you have to wait four years for citizenship, but if you can prove that you know Finnish, then you only have to wait three years. And I think if you want people to integrate, you can also kind of use citizenship as a motivation. You know, you can say, mm. pass this test on Swedish society, pass this test on Swedish language, and we'll cut your waiting time kind of thing. I just think it seems really weird that you're saying to people, you need to integrate, you need to learn everything about Sweden. But also, even if you do that, you're going to have to wait longer just because we think that you're not integrated until you've been in Sweden for eight years. Like, I've only been in Sweden for four years. I speak Swedish. My job is explaining Swedish culture and society. It just seems really strange to me that there's no other way to kind of measure integration like this was strange idea that suddenly after eight years you're magically integrated. You also know a surprising amount of things about the king. Yeah, but it's just <laughs> not going to make any difference to me in uh, getting citizenship. Also, I am one of these people who's quite likely to fall into the kind of grey area between. So I'm eligible for citizenship, or at least I'm eligible for permanent residency. I think June next year. And as far as I'm aware, you can apply for permanent residency and citizenship at the same time. You know, it's a bit touch and go whether I'm going to get my application in in time before this comes into effect. And like, what if I apply for citizenship and then I haven't got it by the time the law comes in? Does that mean I then have to wait a few more years just because a new law came in after I applied? Like, I think it's very important. Also with work permits, we've seen this kind of retroactive aspect of Swedish laws that if you apply for a permit or, or a citizenship and you kind of fulfill all the requirements when you apply, I think it's a bit unfair when those rules get changed and then suddenly you have to fulfill new requirements. I think I think it would be nice if if kind of the government could be a bit more specific on what's going to happen to all the other people like me who are quite likely to fall into this grey area. Yeah, and the migration minister said that this was something the inquiry would look at, but mm. she wasn't able to give any answers on that. Yeah. Okay, um, thanks for that, Becky. And we have the article you mentioned in the show notes with more information about the new citizenship directive. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in to Sweden in Focus. Our panellists today were Emma Lovegrain and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next Saturday. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.